these verses start off with putting away falsehood and speaking the truth. That's verse 25. That's the uh, opening part of the passage we're in today. And it's, uh, it's a, a challenge that runs throughout this. I have a couple of examples I'll share in just a moment. But I, I want us to think about truth in the sense that it really matters. And I chose a, a fairly challenging uh, illustration to start our time off this morning because as you listen today and as you process, I want you to think about what's true and what's false. And if these words are true, then it really matters for how we live our lives. Here is a picture of a man named Walter McMillan. He was uh, the, the main character who was featured in the movie called Just Mercy. It was a book by the same name. The book goes a lot more in depth, of course, than a movie can. But uh, it's a, a great movie to understand uh, the types of injustices that have happened historically. It's great uh, for us to wrestle with those. But uh, we put up here the number six years, about the amount of time that Walter McMillan lost being falsely accused. Uh, falsely imprisoned, falsely convicted, falsely put on death row uh, for a number of those years. He lost six years of his life. There was a falseness that accused him. Uh, somebody was looking for a subject of a, a crime and um, wanted to find somebody who had done it, and he was falsely accused from the word go, and it cost him six years of his life. Uh, he is no longer living, but I imagine if we could have a conversation at some point with him or somebody like him who's experienced one of these types of ordeals, they would tell us that truth and falseness really matter. The truth really mattered. The, the, the lie that put Walter McMillan in prison for this long, it took a chunk of his life and a lot of his body and a lot of his soul. Truth and false, it really matters. And so I hope today, as we get into more from Ephesians about truth and, and how we live our lives as Christians, that we don't say that we believe in Jesus one day a week and then we, we kind of live different lives that aren't consistent with what the Word of God says. We don't want to give a false idea of, of what it is. Our lives <clears throat> should look different to the rest of the world. And in that sense, truth matters. Just a little bit of a review going back uh, to verse 21. Uh, we see, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. <clears throat> and verse 24, the same thing, to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this idea that when our faith is in Jesus Christ, when we realize that we are helplessly in sin, we can't do anything about it, and we want a relationship with God, that we trust Jesus, that he died to forgive us, that he was buried in a tomb, that he rose from the dead. There's power in this. It makes us new. The scriptures we read from 2 Corinthians today, a new creation, a new life in Jesus. It's true. And it works. And so today I've entitled this a true contentment. A true contentment. And there's going to be a number of ways where we see contentment, when God starts to work in our life, when we start to change because of what God is doing, 
we see contentment. Truth is not just a, a nice concept. It's the foundation of our faith. I value what is true. If I don't, you're really just here following a person. If we don't as a church value, uh, value truth, then we're just coming to a building and we're doing some decent things to contribute to society, like caring for kids or encouraging uh, elderly or producing music or helping some people in a time of need, um, wh whatever it happens to be. If truth isn't a part of what we're doing, then really all we're doing is just doing some nice things. I don't want to just do nice things. I want to do it because it's true and it's a part of who we are and it's, it's because God is doing something in us that is different. And in that sense, truth in believers' lives, it helps our relationships. We see in 25 to 27 that truth would motivate us to speak, speak in a loving way, speak truth to our neighbor to see our relationships, that we are members of one another. We put away falsehood. What is that in 25? Having put away falsehood. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we studied uh, 17 to 24, and we see that just the, the whole system of thinking outside of being grounded in God's word is false. We can't rely on what the world says or just what ac academics say. We can't rely on what people say. <clears throat> If we want to come to Scripture, we want to come to, to God. We want to come to His Word because we believe that it's true. So uh, truth helps our relationships in a way that it helps us to speak well of one another, to care for one another. And in 26, it says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, truth, then, in, in that sense, can deal with anger in a way that avoids sin. I, I think anger is a human emotion. Something goes wrong. Someone harms you and does something wrong against you, and you feel, an, or somebody you love, and you feel an anger, a righteous anger about that. That's a healthy way to understand that something has broken down, and we're going to react as humans in anger. But it says, be angry and do not sin. Hey, you might be angry. Somebody has cut you off in, in traffic. You don't respond in sin. You may recognize a wrong, and but I'm not going to respond in sin. Same way if somebody has harmed us, done something wrong, and something's broken down in our family or to one of our loved ones or somebody that we know, we don't take it upon ourselves to, to make revenge for that. We, we deal with that anger, and we, we don't sin, and we take that anger to God, and we trust him to help us work through it. When we don't say the truth about these things, we don't search for God's ways, it can destroy us. It can destroy our relationships. If we want to keep dealing with it, we want to keep taking it to God. Falsehood, deceitful desires, they must be put away, is the language, because they're not of Christ. They don't have a place in our lives. Often you'll hear this, do not let the sun go down on your anger. You'll, you'll hear this in, in a context of um, married folks who will say, hey, we had a disagreement, and I want to address this issue uh, before we head to bed so it, it doesn't disrupt our sleep and it doesn't, um, as the, the scripture says here, the, the devil would get a foothold or the devil would have an opportunity, an open door to use that disagreement to continue to stir things up. I heard a pastor talking about this verse one time, and he said, my wife and I, we are so committed 
to dealing with our differences that, that we don't go to bed until we talk about it. He said, now, now one time we had a real bad disagreement. We didn't, we didn't sleep for three weeks. But we dealt with it before he went to bed. I, I hope he wasn't being serious. But it's a great, whether it's in a, in a family situation, a marriage situation, or even among believers, it's an encouragement to us that if we're content who we are, that God is working in us. And we don't want this kind of disharmony and disunity. We're willing to go to that person and say, hey, I want to try and square this situation. I don't want it to eat me up. I don't want it to affect my uh, attitude uh, towards you. I want, to, I want to try to work this out. We want to deal with those things. So truth, if we believe that Jesus is true, we will, we will take those uh, steps and it will help our relationship. We see it. Uh, here in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, I love the chapter. It says so much about love of God, love among believers. And here, what does it say that love does? It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. A similar word, irritable, to what we're dealing with uh, here as far as anger and, and not sinning and dealing with it. Okay, so a contentment in our relationships. The truth can help us to have more contentment in relationship. Second, truth. It helps relationships. It can also refocus work. Now, you, you, you read this verse here, 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, if you've been living a, a godly life for a long time, this is going to sound really strange. Right? You, you may think to yourself, man, I, either I've never stolen anything or it's been a long time since I stole something. Maybe I was a little kid and I stole something from a store or whatever and I felt really bad about it. I took it back or whatever those kind of things happen. But I want you to be encouraged. The, the Bible addresses real life concerns and people who are used to stealing stealing from family or stores or strangers or are just dishonest with money and the way they represent themselves and they're dishonest through and through. What this says to us is that even if that's the case and even if that's somebody's approach, that person has worth and has a purpose. And Jesus and Paul's being open on the page about it and saying, even if somebody's a thief and that's their approach, they have a purpose. So let's deal with stealing first and then the work second. I want to do first what may not quite apply to, to most of us. And I'm going to make you wait, so you stay with me. I'll make you wait to the second one on this point. So let's deal with the stealing first. I'm going to assume most of you don't steal on a regular basis. If you do, let this verse confront you. I won't make the assumption that nobody listening is struggling with this issue. I want this to, to confront you. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor. It's better to work than to steal. I know this sounds basic. We're just going to go with what's here on the page. Another place uh, that we see this in Paul's writings, particularly is in 2 Thessalonians. You might be familiar with this verse. 
giving this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. It is better to work than to steal or to be a busy body. Here is this value, scriptural value of working and making the most of our abilities, if at all possible. I wanted to take this to the gospel. I want you to see that this is uh, part of Jesus telling a parable at the end of uh, his earthly life and ministry in Matthew 25. This is the parable of the talents. And it, it puts us in contact with three different characters, three different uh, amounts. We all have different gifts and abilities. Some people have more gifts and abilities than others, and that's understandable. Uh, the one who had a lot more than this particular person did well and was honored. The one who had just a little bit more did well and was honored. But here's uh, the guy who had one talent, uh, not very much, and he says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And what did he do? I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. So he's giving him his money back. He didn't really do anything with it, but here, at least I buried it in the ground. I'll give it to you back. His master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Just a recognition that the things that we have, things that we've been given, I, I hope that this contentment of God working and the Holy Spirit working in our lives would change us so that it would reorient us to, toward our work. It refocuses us. So yes, it can take us away from stealing or as we've seen idleness or fear and it can, it can move us toward productivity. But look at, look at the way Paul encourages the Ephesians. Let him work with his own hands. So what? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So this is primary. This is one of the primary uses of finances that we see in the, in the Bible is that we work not to, to pile stuff up, so our kids have more work to do when we die. You may chuckle, but I guarantee you, if you haven't been there, you know somebody who has. It's not the goal to pile up a bunch of stuff. The goal is generosity. The goal is helping others. And in, in taking Ephesians, and these are people without a spiritual background. Their culture was urban. They were city dwellers, and they would have been without... Uh, in, uh, by and large, without a lot of influence from the Jews and, and faith and teachings of the Old Testament, they would have been wondering, uh, I love this message of Jesus, but now what do I do? And so he says, hey, quit stealing and take some of your money and be ready to give to those who have need. Wow. What a refreshing way to look at our work, that the money that we obtain has a purpose, that we can be ready to help. We can be generous, reflecting the generosity that God gives to us. Contentment says, I'm going to approach relationships differently. I don't want that anger to lead me into sin. Contentment says, I don't work for myself. I'm going to try to help others and be positioned to do that. Wow. Finally, look at verse 29 through 32. Number of things specifically that are are mentioned here I want to ask uh, this are are you curious how people talk about you when you're not around you ever wonder that 
Now, at some level, if we obsess about that, it'll, it'll destroy us. I'm not encouraging you to obsess at all about what people are saying about you. You can't control it. But at some level, I want us to look here in verse 29 where it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Sometimes we have to say truth. But we want to build up and we want to give grace. And sometimes truth isn't hard or isn't easy, I mean. We want to give grace. We want to build up. We want our words to fit the occasion. It doesn't mean, go back to, hey, are you curious about what people are saying? I'm going to finish that thought. It doesn't mean that we just overlook things. It doesn't mean we lack an accountability. It doesn't mean that we don't blow it and we need forgiveness. We, all those things are true. But if we're really committed to asking the Holy Spirit to work in us and to guide our conversations, and if we really spoke things for the building up of people, the building up of the body of Christ, and offered grace, I would propose that we wouldn't really have to worry very much about what people say. What if we were a part, as Christians, of a group of people in, in a local church and beyond who did our very best to say things in a way that builds up and gives grace? We wouldn't have to worry very much about whether we're getting a fair hearing when people are talking about us in the natural. We wouldn't have to worry very much. That's the goal. It's we're content. It's that we're all growing, and so we don't have to be competitive and compare ourselves one to another and try to feel better than somebody else. We don't have to do those things. We don't have to talk that way. Those things come from discontentment. Those comes, those places, that comes from a place deep inside where we're not content. It's okay if somebody else is farther ahead than we are. It's okay if we have some ground to make. It's okay if we come to God. I'm going to get to, going to, get to more of this. What happens? Let's see how, how Paul presents this. All right? He follows up with verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. All right? So if, we're, if corrupting talk is coming out of our mouths and we're not building others up and we're not giving grace to those who are hearing us, we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And he's giving a reminder back to chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is who, who, who lives inside of us and seals us for eternity and lives inside of us and is the guarantee that we'll have an inheritance forever with Jesus. If we, if we don't budge, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work, we grieve him. All right, so here's a challenge. Don't think that, that growth is just going to be this automatic thing that comes with no human effort. I believe all day long that God is going to work in you and me. He's going to do great things, and, and we're going to mature. And, and because he loves us, we're going to not be the way we used to be. And, and we'll be able to look back at markers and see those things. But we can't just sit back on cruise control and expect God to do everything. We have to engage. At some point, we have to be aware, and we have to be willing to receive a word about the way that we talk. If somebody says, hey, uh, let me challenge you, it's not very graceful. If that happens, take it in and say, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I want the Spirit of God to be working in my life, our lives. So if we claim Jesus and then speak and totally act a different way, we deny the Holy Spirit's power to change us. So 
Let's think a little bit deeper. What's going on here? Paul is addressing potential sin, potential problems. Made me think of parenting for a minute. Let's think about what, what, what Paul is really doing here. Has anybody ever thought their kid was perfect? <laughs> Grandparents, what about that darling little grandchild? Aren't they so sweet? We love our children. We love our grandchildren. We love brothers and sisters. But, but what do we have to do? We have to discipline at times. What Paul is doing here is offering correction and discipline. And by its very nature, what does that admit to us, just like the Ephesian believers coming to hear the word of God, what, does, what do we admit when we open up passages like this? We have to admit that we are in need of correction, that we're not the perfect little angel. We need help. We need to repent. We need the Holy Spirit of God to work in us. And we also find out that we're capable of grieving that Holy Spirit if we continue on in thinking that we don't need the help. We can look at this type of correction as dread and we can back ourselves into a corner and we can find somebody who we think we're better than and we can justify ourselves and go on about that person's faults or whatever's going on. And we could, or we could look at the opportunity for correction in, with hope and an opportunity for growth and for love and forgiveness to be expressed. I just can't think the point of Christianity is coming once a Sunday or studying our Bible for a few minutes and then our goal is just to try to get a little bit better. No, it's a whole new identity. The, the, the title of this series we've had, Identity Surrendered. It's something completely different that's going on inside of us. I hope that excites you to think about. Central to this identity, we see today and some of the sins that Paul is calling out is contentment. 31 and 32. We'll contrast these verses before we close. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Take those strong feelings, take the anger, take the, the, the things that we say, the attitudes, the bitterness. We want to put them away. It's contrasted with what in 32? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, I'm not suggesting that if somebody's harmed you, that they totally have no consequence for their behavior. That's not in the Bible. But we do need to be willing to forgive. We do need, need to be willing to show kindness and, and tenderheartedness because that's what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to work in us. Not just a little better. This is a brand new identity. We become something new. God is taking over our identity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And while we're going to pause after today on this series, we'll come back to it later in May, we're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit as essential to this new identity that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Truth, speaking it, knowing it, living it, letting God confront us and mature us and work in us, it really matters. We don't want to give off some idea that we're not trying to live according to what Scripture says. And so as we hear these words today, let's consider ourselves under the Word of God and let's evaluate and ask ourselves, are we believers ready to respond? I'm going to give you four uh, words 
uh, as we close. Uh, it increases character and love. For those who've been waiting for that, there you go. It's what contentment does. I'm going to give you four words. Surrender, wait, avoid, and pursue. The acronym is SWAP. This is not my original. It's by a book called The Spirit Walk by Steve Smith. If you want to look that title up, it's a wonderful book. But some practical help for dealing with anger or the things that are coming out of our mouths. Often they can go unchecked in our lives. And if the Holy Spirit is working, and I hope he is, then we come and we say, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to surrender those things to God right this minute. I want to, I want to wait and just slow down and, and pray and ask God to help me. I want to avoid that sin. I want to pursue the promptings of the Holy Spirit instead. A totally surrendered identity wants to please God and wants the Spirit to be living in us and working in us. That's what we desire. A lot more on that to come. I'm anxious this morning to celebrate Jesus.